African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. This is a very significant historical election. This crisis is still damaging, especially Finnish and European economies very hardly, and that's an important reason to get more and more co- cooperation. And uh, what we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of uh, Tiwonge and uh, Stephen, and also we see Malawi violating its international commitments. Well, the position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting for marine species in particular. African Dialogue, a talk show where we cover anything and everything. Thank you for joining us uh, on this uh, uh, Wednesday installment of uh, African Dialogue. You're listening to Channel Africa, your gateway to Africa with the voice of the African Renaissance. My name is Benjamin Mushatama. Thank you for joining us. You're listening to us on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. And on DSTV, we're on Channel 902 on the audio bouquet. Well, today on our program, we're going to look at the 14th World Forestry Congress 2015. It's the first time it's hosted on the continent since it was uh, uh, actually inaugurated in the 1920s. So very interesting. We went across live to Durban to see what's happening at this particular Congress. But let's get our news from Asanda Mazawunyan. In the news, fresh clashes reported between South Sudan's warring factions. Zimbabwe's ousted Vice President Joyce Mujuru indicates a possible intention to launch a new party to challenge President Robert Mugabe and Queen Elizabeth II becomes Britain's longest reigning monarch. Good morning. There are fresh clashes between South Sudan's warring factions. Both the government and rebels are accusing each other of violating a ceasefire which formed part of a peace agreement signed last month. James Shimanyula reports. With nearly three months remaining before South Sudan President Salva Kiir and his principal political and military opponent Riek Machar Form a government of national unity, fresh fighting is taking place in the volatile and oil-producing Upper Nile region. The latest fighting is taking place at a time when both sides have agreed to stop fighting as per the peace agreement which President Salva Kiir and rebel leader Riek Machar signed. Each side claims to have been attacked by the other. Zimbabwe's ousted Vice President Joyce Mujuru has released a political manifesto which shows a possible intention to launch a new party to challenge President Robert Mugabe. Mujuru has published a policy statement titled Build. This statement outlines her plans to revive Zimbabwe's ailing economy and strengthen democratic rights. Mujuru was fired along with eight other cabinet ministers in December last year after Mugabe accused her of plotting to oust him. 
A leading political party in Haiti has announced it's pulling out of next month's legislative elections, saying it was the primary victim of violence during the first round of voting in August. The pullout from the second round of runoff on October 25, when Haitians are also due to cast ballots for a new president, is seen as another setback for stability in the impoverished Caribbean country. Haiti's parliament dissolved in January after scheduled legislative elections in 2011 and 2014 were cancelled. Venezuela is prepared to give asylum to 20,000 refugees from the conflict in Syria. President Nicolas Maduro's offer comes as Europe struggles to cope with record numbers of asylum seekers escaping conflicts in Syria, Iraq and Afghanistan. More than 4 million Syrians have fled civil war in their country in the last four years. Maduro and his predecessor, Hugo Chavez, have both expressed support for Syrian President Bashar al-Assad. Queen Elizabeth II is Britain's longest reigning monarch. She has been at the helm for 63 years, seven months and two days, surpassing Queen Victoria's record. The 89-year-old is marking Thursday by opening a new railway line in Scotland. Dan Whitehead reports. I declare before you all that my whole life, whether it be long or short, shall be devoted to your service. Today, Britain's Queen Elizabeth II beats the record set by her great-great-grandmother, Queen Victoria, becoming Britain's longest-reigning monarch at 63 years, 7 months and 2 days. Crowned on the 2nd of June 1953, the Queen has seen 12 Prime Ministers come and go in her role as Head of State and of the Commonwealth. A recap of our top stories. Fresh clashes reported between South Sudan's warring factions. Zimbabwe's ousted Vice President Joyce Mujuru releases a political manifesto indicating a possible intention to launch a new party to challenge President Robert Mugabe. And Queen Elizabeth II becomes Britain's longest reigning monarch. For Channel Africa News, I'm Asanda Matsaunyani. Thank you to Asanda for that uh, news update and uh, thank you for joining us here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, today we're crossing live to Durban in South Africa where the 14th World Forestry Congress 2015 is underway. This event is the largest gathering for the global forestry community and is uh, uh, hosted for the first time in uh, Africa. The theme this year is Forests and People Investing in a Sustainable Future. This theme aims to look at the diverse challenges faced by people living in forests in different regions. Well, today we're going to be speaking about this particular Congress and some of the themes and also some of the subjects that are coming out of uh, the conversations there in Durban. On the line, we've got Trevor Ad- Abrahams, rather. That's Trevor Abrahams, who's the Secretary General of the 14th World Forestry Congress, as well as Dr. Godwin Coero, who is the Executive Secretary of the African Forestry Forum. Let's start with the two as they join us on our program. Uh, Mr. Abrahams, thank you for joining us on our program. Good morning to you and your listeners. Good morning. Now, tell us a little bit about how it came about that uh, since the 1920s, since the 14th World Forestry Congress was held, why was it decided for the first time to host it on the continent of Africa, especially in South Africa? 
Well, yes, it is indeed a proud moment for us to be hosting this Congress in Africa. The hosting decision is taken by a council of the FAO, and it is largely based on a bidding process, a bit like the World Cup without the Caribbean Tony. And and tell us a little bit about just the history of the World Forestry Congress, just so we can give context to our listeners. Well, as you correctly pointed out, this is a Congress of forestry uh, role players that have met since 1926, obviously with the creation of the uh, FAO, the Food and Agriculture Organization, in the UN system. Uh, That organization became the custodian of this event, and that's where at the council of that event of all the member states, they make decisions in terms of where such congress are hosted, the thematic aspects of the congress, uh, and that's why we now have it in in Africa, and I'm very happy to be sharing the podium with uh, Professor Coero, um, because I think not only the first time in Africa, but we've had a very unique preparation process driven by the African Forest Forum. Well, let's move on to Dr. Godwin Coero, the Executive Secretary of the African Forestry Forum. Dr. Coero, uh, thank you for joining us here on African Dialogue. Well, Dr. Coero, let's see if we can get a clearer line from you. I think we're struggling there, but let's see how it goes. In terms of uh, this particular theme, it's really looking at the idea of forests and people investing in a sustainable future. Tell us a little bit how this theme will be elaborated on. I know this conference has already started. So what have been the themes that people have been looking at? Yeah, we haven't discussed this in our own workshop that's brought together many stakeholders in African forestry on Friday and Saturday last week. And also these issues have been discussed extensively in the Congress itself. Um, there are two aspects to the issue of uh, building resilience or making our society adaptive to the changing climate and the other variations in climate. Um, one thing is that uh, we, if we are going to use forests and tree resources, we have to make sure that these resources have them by themselves the capacity to adjust to climate change shocks. Uh, and we have to build it, to help them to build that capacity by first ensuring that our forests remain healthy and also ensuring that areas that we can plant in terms of new areas that don't have trees, we can put trees there. The areas that have been felled of trees, but there are still some trees remaining, we can do some enrichment planting in those tree areas uh, so that we extend the area of forest cover. And by doing so, we can enhance the capacity of these forest resources to supply with us what we call ecosystem services, things like uh, water regulation, uh, climate amelioration, which is important in terms of climate change, and therefore reduce the intensity and the frequency of uh, the problems we get from climate change. And with respect to water supplies, uh, that is essential uh, in the sense that it can make our communities have more water in 
especially during the dry season, and they can still continue uh, producing the agricultural crops, which will then help them to buffer against the things like drought. So secondly, mm-hmm. we have to put in um, within the communities themselves uh, structures and institutions uh, that will help them uh, to adapt. And also, governments have a big role here in creating an enabling environment that will allow all this to happen. But in short, that's what is happening. Well, we know that uh, Africa currently has uh, up to 624 million hectares of foreign area following an annual decrease of 2.8 million hectares in the five past uh, years. We know that's due to the issue of uh, uh, industrialization and also urbanization in terms of where the world is moving. Mr. Trevor Abrahams, why is it important for us, as was highlighted by Dr. Godwin Coero, to really adjust to climate change and also some of uh, the developments that are taking place on the continent? We're seeing geographical changes in terms of the landscape when it comes to uh, cities becoming bigger and we becoming a more urbanized continent. Why do we need to speak about forestry? I think you raised a a very central point to this. I think on one level, we don't often appreciate the role of forest in our lives. We sit on forest, we write on forest, sometimes we drink on the forest. Most of our commodities come packaged in products coming from forest. So we don't even appreciate the full extent of wood products. But then beyond wood products, there's a whole range of non-wood products, whether it's herbs, it's spices, whether it's honey, that is also derived, which is critical in many uh, of our communities' uh, subsistence uh, on, on the planet. But if you look in Africa, I think one of the most astounding facts that, that's not very commonly known, the charcoal manufacturing industry in Africa is worth more than $26 billion U.S. dollars. And much of that is in fact small-scale producers. Now, you can imagine how many people are fed through that process. It's a huge part of our economy as it is. So we obviously derive a lot of economic mm-hmm. and, in fact, non-economic benefits from it. But I think the critical point that we are at the moment is that in the context of a recognized pattern of climate change, our forest is in a very, very critical mitigating force. It absorbs carbon dioxide mm. and it releases oxygen. So it's one of our armory to combat the carbon emissions that we're battling with. Mm. At another level also, I think we must also understand forest and water. You know, all Africa's rivers which run perennially originate in wooded lands. Now that's something to think about. If, you, if I tell you that all our major rivers originate in the forest. Mm. You need to then start looking at the hydrological importance of forests in terms of giving us water security. Mm. So it's much, much more critically a component of our future than we, I think we recognize, and I think we hope that this Congress will be part of bringing that awareness to the average person in the street. In fact, you know, we heard something very important in the Congress here, uh, that the bulk of emissions are not your factories, it's not your mind, it's actually our households. The carbon footprint, I think I heard a figure of more than 60% Hmm. of emissions take place in a household. Hmm. That's also an important Hmm. call to the ordinary citizen 
to be looking at the wastage and looking at how we, cons- how we consume energy in the house mm. and how we could actually conserve and, in fact, put more energy, in fact, into sustaining our forests, which play such a critical role. And I think, you know, what we're talking about here is not simply green trees, more mm. green trees. Mm. We're talking about the future of our children and our children's children. Well, we'll come back to those themes. How do we create that kind of uh, system where we are investing into our forests and protecting them? Because that's a big issue, especially as I highlighted earlier on in this uh, industrialization trends that we have on our continent, whereby also that can be a threat to the forests themselves. You are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Today we are crossing live to Durban in South Africa where the 14th World Forestry Congress is taking place. Let's take a quick break and then we'll be back after that. If you are interested in the hospitality industry in Africa, then we have news for you. Join Channel Africa from the 9th to the 11th of this month. We will be bringing you live coverage of the Hotel Investment Conference Africa taking place at the Hilton Hotel in Johannesburg, South Africa. This premier business-to-business networking and engagement platform is being held this year under the theme Growth Through Partnerships. So join Channel Africa's African Dialogue and Gateway to Africa programs on Thursday and Friday at 1100 Central African Time for live coverage from the Hotel Investment Conference from the 9th to 11th of September. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Get to know Channel Africa and all the people who bring news, views and great African entertainment. You can now catch Channel Africa on DSTV Audio Bouquet, Channel 902. Channel Africa. The voice of the African Renaissance. Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Very exciting stuff. The first time being hosted here in uh, South Africa and also the continent, the 14th World Forestry Congress 2015. It's underway at the Durban International uh, Center there. That is uh, uh, really, really where... uh, just uh, the theme of uh, showcasing uh, the, really the, the challenges and also the opportunities that lie in forestry, not just in the continent, but the rest of the world. And we set a very much of a tone with uh, Trevor Abrahams, the Secretary General of the 14th World Forestry Congress, as well as Dr. Godwin Coero, who is the Executive Secretary of the African Forestry Forum, who was speaking to us from the conference itself. We're broadcasting here in Auckland Park, Johannesburg in South Africa. But hey, coming back to some of the issues that were highlighted by Trevor Abrahams, let me bring them back to you, Dr. Coero, in terms of uh, the issue of protecting our forestry. We know that uh, for a long time there has been a very much, uh, uh, when we look at forests, people seem to look at the economic opportunities that lie in there. And we've also seen some illegal trade of uh, timber, for instance, that's a big issue that we've seen taking place. What does the conference offer for um, actually for us to actually protect our forestry and to ensure that we preserve what we already have? I think the role 
of protecting the forest rests on all of us. Um, we should start uh, in our own countries, uh, educating our people by making them more aware of the multiple benefits they derive from the forest. Unfortunately, the things that we have in abundance, water, air, soil, forest, are taken for granted. People think that they don't need uh, management, and uh, in that case, we have, uh, in many ways, destroyed them. And that's why we're running problems with the global warming. We have destroyed the quality of the air that surrounds us. The oceans are highly polluted, and now the forests are just disappearing. So it's uh, upon us, not only government, but all the society should work in tandem uh, to make sure that uh, the forests are protected. Fortunately, many governments and uh, other institutions that are working with natural resources, the environment and forests in particular, uh, they are doing their best to raise this awareness. But the problems which we are facing are that we are trying to protect the forests uh, which also are a source of livelihood to the poor. And uh, when the poor are faced with harsh conditions, uh, their first priority is survival. So the forest will have to give in. Hmm. And we see that happening all over. Uh, one thing we have to do is to find out how we can give uh, our rural people who are in the proximity of these forests uh, other livelihood options so that in times of stress they don't aggress into the forest mm. to seek livelihood. And if they do so, this should be regulated in a way that uh, the products they extract are done in a professional way and uh, retain the sustainability of the forest resource base. And that is something which uh, I think all our institutions that handle issues in forestry are aware of. They are trained how to harvest the forest sustainably. We have been doing that for many years, mm. but unfortunately in the recent past we see an upsurge in terms of illegal activities in forests, which cannot be explained otherwise than the question of rent-seeking uh, by many in the private sector who want the trees for their own gain and they can corrupt our officials who are mm. underpaid mm. Uh, to accept bribes and uh, go into what you have stated as a legal login and a legal trade in forest products. Because mm. that's, where, that's where the problem is. is uh, that, oh, you, can, yeah. you, you can continue, Dr. Kowara. Sorry to cut you off. You may continue, Doctor. Yeah. Um, having said that, we have given a lot of attention about illegal trade. But we, in terms of highlighting it and in terms of putting policing structures around mm-hmm. it, but this is actually profitable trade. And it's huge trade between our own countries. We talk about inter-regional and inter-country trade, uh, but the, the, the trade in forest products in our own countries 
mm. happens to be largely illegal. The thing I think we have to do now is to study how this trade is being conducted, who are the main players, what are the main rules, and see how it can be structured and formalized so that the element of illegality disappears. Otherwise, we'll just go in with the policing it, hmm. making it more risky, and by doing that, the products that are traded, their values increase. That's all what happens. So yeah. I think there is a need to restructure our own thinking and approaches so that we understand better this trade and find ways of helping those actors who are in this trade to do it legally. Mm. Well, let me move that to Trevor Abrahams to hear his views on this particular issue of illegal logging and illegal trading. What are your thoughts on this? Uh, what can governments do, yeah. actually? Because sometimes it is that governmental element that is involved in the illegal aspects of things where you see corruption actually facilitating process of this illegal trading. Yeah, I think you know, the, the theme of this conflict is really the, the answer to what you, you probably we are really seeking for a model going forward, a regulatory policy regime where we have sustainable forests. No one is thinking about we cannot touch a tree. In fact, one speaker very provocatively made a statement, save our forest, cut a tree. And I think it's a very abbreviated argument you're putting is that we cannot run away from the fact that our forests are assets. And we cannot, as I said, the charcoal, we can't help all those millions of people who live off the forest in, in that way simply to abandon any harvesting of our forest. We're looking for a sustainable way. Now, sustainability in terms of our natural resources requires a certain amount of planning. It requires a regulatory framework which is informed of trying to ensure sustainability of our assets, and it requires an implementation framework which is transparent and doesn't lend itself to the kind of practice that Prof. Coera was referring to, where corruption steps in and we have the plunder of our resources. And what's worse that in some cases in Africa, a lot of this plunder takes place where the timber goes wholeheartedly out of the country, no processes, no value add uh, in terms of the value change. And, you know, many of them is Africa's hardwood that are, take quite some time to regenerate. So the, the, the real watchword is sustainability. And, you know, we need to interrogate what sustainability means mm. in specific environments. But, you know, in very simple terms, it means that it will be there for us into the future. It might not be this particular tree, but the forest is going to be all in a manner that will allow us still to have trees and regrowth of our trees. Well, um, well that, I think, sure, you can carry on. Yeah, I think one point we do also need to, to bring to this, and I think Godwin sort of alluded to it. You know, we need to understand, in terms of our modern society, is really integration of a number of elements. Um, the AU chairperson, Ma'am uh, uh, Flamini Zuma, made a very important point when she was asked this question in a, in a press conference, you know, um, we talk about electrification in Africa. If we extend electrification in Africa, obviously we'll reduce the fact that 83% of the households in Africa depend on firewood for energy. So 
you know, it's part of broader economic mm. development, mm. extension of electricity. Mm. The same applies to food. Um, the population is something near 7.1 billion at the moment on the planet. By 2050, expected to be 9.3 billion. At which point, we are going have to produce 73% more agricultural products than we're doing now. Food. We mm. cannot live without it. Okay? So obviously there you have the tension between land which is being devoted for agriculture and that which is for forestry. Mm. Now, as we spoke about earlier, forests play a very important role in terms of our hydrology, in terms of our climate change, in terms of biodiversity, animals, etc. that grow in the, the forest. So, you know, it's, ne- it's never going to be an either-or. It's going to be the balance and how do we get it sustainable. Mm-hmm. So, you know, there will be pressures at times about land that needs to be devoted to agriculture. And uh, ma'am, uh, Mene Zuma made a very important point. We can't talk to our youth about for, uh, agriculture in its current form. Mm-hmm. We need to have technological revolution there. I mean, most of our younger people, you tell them, and they think of the whole and the type of work in the state, not interested in it. Yeah. Very clearly, if we're going to meet our food security needs, we're going to need a tremendous agricultural revolution. And we see a bit of it happening already where we're having very smart ways of irrigating, um, you know, our, our food lots, etc., in terms of producing it. And we need to bring technology. And that's why I think at this Congress, we've got a very strong emphasis on youth. We've got a very strong contingent of youth. Mm. who are studying at the moment. You know, we've got PhD students, we've got master students here from our universities or in attendance, and they're going to be our future leaders in mm. the policy sector. Mm. Well, uh, we'll have a student a little bit later from the University of uh, Venda to speak to us about that particular element that you're introducing right now. But we're going to take a quick break and we're going to continue to look at this particular issue. And I know yesterday there was a big event that was taking place on the Africa Day special event that was uh, looking at uh, the same themes that you are still highlighting there, uh, Mr. Abrahams. But you are listening to us here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Today we're looking at the World Forestry Congress, which is underway in Durban, South Africa, which is the largest gathering for global forestry community and is hosted for the first time on the continent. We want to know your thoughts and uh, we want to hear what you have to say about the conversation we have. And plus 27796957930 is our SMS number. Let's take a quick break and we'll be back. Dear listener, would you like to be featured on our website? Send us interesting pictures such as those of people, events, or anything you think is unique and interesting. Be part of our website and share those memorable moments with Channel Africa and the rest of the world. Don't miss this opportunity. Take a picture now, tomorrow, and every day. Pictures can be sent to info at channelafrica.org. That's info at channelafrica.org. You can view your pictures on www.channelafrica.co.za. That's www.channelafrica.co.za and also on our Facebook page. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance.
Yes, you are listening to Channel Africa. Hey, do you think that we know enough about what's happening in terms of the world of forestry? Let us know your thoughts. Plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero. And if so, how can we actually protect our forests? Uh, we've been speaking about the issue that is really concerning the issue of uh, uh, the fact that uh, you know there's a lot of corruption that does take place when it comes to forestry and this collusion between government officials and uh, uh, the private sector it seems to be a trend and uh, our guest was speaking about really how do we actually deal with those particular elements and that was highlighted by Dr. Godwin Coero. But right now also another theme that was highlighted was uh, by Trevor Abrahams about how do we make forestry and agriculture something attractive for young people as well. We've got Christine Nkosi who's a student who's uh, from the University of Venda which is in Limpopo in South Africa. Christine thank you for joining us on our program. Cool. Tell us a little bit about your involvement in this particular conference and what are you studying? Um, as you said, I'm coaching Christina from the University of Venda. I'm doing my honours degree, um, a third year student. So, so far in the industry of forest, um, there's a lot that we can say that we're getting from there. And um, concerning the conference, that we're attending right now. It's, it's very broad. While I was here, I, I tend to recognize that there are a lot of things that we, we really don't understand as students in the, for, in the Department of Forestry. So while I'm attending this conference, um, it came to a clear position that forestry is not all about just trees, but it has a lot of things that it contains. Mm. So I think that's, that's, that's interesting, Christina. So you say it's not just about trees. What did you learn about forestry for you in this conference that shifted your perspective about the industry that you want to work in? Um, so far, I was interested in working in the commercial industry. So I think this conference is still motivating me, but so far it, I can see that there are more care positions that I can go for. Um, concerning all the perspectives that we've been looking at, it's a thing that's sustainable um, forest management. So as a student, I would like to travel around um, through the industry of forest, working with other sectors. Hmm. Very interesting indeed. Now, now let me take that back to, to you. Um, uh, I don't know if we have Dr. Coero still with us, but that attractiveness. Um, it's very interesting to hear Christina saying, hey, before I got here, I just thought it was all about trees, but there seems to be more in the forestry industry that I seem to be uh, having opportunities. There's more opportunities that I can have in this particular area. In terms of the African student and the African young person, making them more attracted to forestry agriculture, as highlighted by Trevor Abrahams, really it's about really creating a different perspective and a different view that, hey, these industries have advanced. Isn't that the, the, the way we need to go in terms of our teaching methods, Dr. Coero? Um, uh, Dr. Coero, we're struggling with your line there. I'm not sure what's happening. Um, but uh, let me see if we can actually adjust it from this side. 
but uh, let's see if you, let's see if we can give you one more try and see if the line can get clearer from our side, Dr. Kewero. Just start from the beginning and let's yeah. try to really deal with that particular question. Okay, can you hear That's me better. Well, That's much better. Yeah, what I'm saying is that we have to divide youth into two categories. There are youth who are trained professionally and those who are trained at university level. And there are youth who didn't chance to go to university. And these two have two ways of looking at agriculture and forestry. The youth who are trained as professionals, they look at this industry, agriculture and, and the forestry, with a different lens in looking at jobs that they might do in the office and uh, not so much outside. The youth who didn't go to university and had a chance to be trained in technical colleges, they look at the industry from what they can do on the ground. And uh, the jobs in forestry and in agriculture are found more uh, in the informal sector. And the informal sector, in this case, we are dealing with small private sector operators. We are looking at the NGOs that facilitate the work of local communities in planting trees, tending them, and doing the marketing and the housing. We are looking at um, um, the farmers themselves who are growing trees and organizing themselves into groups like associations and cooperative societies. These are operating at a small to medium scale, and what they need more are technical skills than professional skills. And these they require people with hands-on experience on doing things on the ground in terms of planting trees, in terms of working with farmers in the field, in terms of working on soil benches to churn out furniture, and in terms of raising trees in seed nurseries and planting them and tending. Those are technical skills that you find with youth who can be trained in technical colleges. So for them, the opportunities are there. The question is how to expand these opportunities by strengthening uh, the the private sector uh, entities that are small, by strengthening the NGOs or civil society organizations mm. that are working with farmers, and also by strengthening the farmer groups themselves so that they become more organized, have more volume of business, create more demand for jobs, and this creates more employment opportunities for the youth. This way, the youth can find employment and satisfaction in what they're doing. Mm. The problem which we have with the youth that are trained at university, these are many. They are not trained properly in these technical skills. They might have to think of the alternative of going back to technical colleges, and they have more hands-on training and access these jobs. So that is uh, the scenario that is emerging. And uh, I think uh, we also need some good policies uh, from our government and uh, relevant institutions to make this happen. Yeah. Let's see if we can actually extend on that particular idea. Um, yeah. Is that Trevor Abrahams? Can I, can I just allow... Yeah. Uh, uh, 
Yeah, sure. Go, go ahead, but I, just briefly because I need to allow. I want to add something about about the youth. I mean, yeah, I sure, sure. We also had this at World Policy Congress. We've had a very strong presence of our Working on Fire program, which is actually an expanded public works program designed to provide employment to our youth. So, you know, we need to look at the full spectrum of, of uh, opportunities as profits in setting out. So it's not just the academic, but it's actually down to the practical, the firefighters, which are also part of those who are employed in, in, in policy-related activities. Okay, that, that's very interesting because I want to take it to this next dimension in terms of the industry in itself and how it operates. And uh, let's see if we've got uh, Professor Sutu Damiya, who is the Executive Secretary for the African Network of Agriculture and Forestry. Professor, are you there with us? Yes, how are you? Fantastic. Um, thank you for joining us, Professor. But looking at this thing from a holistic way, we've looked at uh, the challenges and uh, looked at really attracting young people into this particular forestry industry. And I think uh, both uh, uh, Dr. Coero and, and Trevor highlighted very important elements. But managing forests in relation to climate change seems to be the way we are moving into right now, especially when you look at the climate change uh, issue that was highlighted by Trevor uh, Abrahams before you came into our program, uh, Professor. How do we create a new way of approaching the way we manage forests in relation to climate change? Because that's also a very important factor. And also, coming into this conference, we're also looking at COP21, which is coming on later in the year. How do we create a a new way of perceiving the importance of forests in terms of uh, uh, the climate change problem that we have on our continent and the rest of the world? Hello, is it addressed to me? Yes, Professor Asutu. Okay. Okay, you say uh, forest and climate change. Uh, I think this was uh, well stressed in the in the program for the World Congress, uh, linking clearly forest forestry and climate change. Because as we know, we, we know that uh, all the challenges linked to climate change are challenges to forest mainly because of you know the the greenhouse gas emission which results from cutting of forests, from uh, clearing of, of forest lands for agriculture. But we know also that climate change could be uh, could give an opportunity for forests to to uh, come to cut to, to lands that have been degraded, to also give some incentives to uh, forest owners, to local communities, to uh, get some extra money from carbon, carbon sequestration operations they are doing. But we heard from the discussions that have been going on during this Congress that there are many people who think that, uh, well, money from carbon is not only what we can get from forests because, you know, we have a lot of other uh, economic, environmental, and socioeconomic, social social benefits that uh, users of forests can get from reclaiming, from uh, reforesting and even from plantation forestry, so uh, it's a lot of a uh, lot of uh, other benefits that can uh, be uh, received from uh, forest and forestry. But uh, what I am uh, much interested in is here is really the aspect of sustainability, because we, we know that uh, investing in future is actually what is the main focus. 
climate change? How do we uh, make sure that we reduce the, the way we are, we are uh, polluting? How do we get into clean industry? And how do we also educate young people so that they don't do the same mistakes uh, that were at the basis of climate change? So I think uh, sustainable development, and, and that is linked to also the sustainable development goals, and that is linked to the future we want to build in Africa for the, the, the horizon 2063, is how do you involve people in the whole issues of uh, climate change adaptation and mitigation. Mm. I think that is uh, now what is important for us. Me, as an uh, academician, I'm more interested in how do you uh, build the capacity of the future generation mm. so that they think better of the, the, their future generation than we did in our our generation. Well, that's where we have to leave it. And you were introducing another element that I wanted to touch on, but I don't think we have enough time. Also, the sustainable development goals is another thing that you've brought to the forefront, uh, Professor. But we have to leave it there because I've ran out of time. But I want to thank all our guests. I want to thank uh, uh, Mr. Ab- uh, Trevor Abrahams, who is the Secretary General of the World Forestry Congress, the 14th one to be held in, uh, to be held since its inauguration. We've got also thanking you Dr. Godwin Coero, who is the Executive Secretary of the African Forestry Forum. Thank you as well to the young lady who spoke to us briefly, who's a student at the University of Venda, uh, Christine Nkosi. Thank you to Professor Asutu Damienya, who is uh, the Executive Secretary for the African Network for Agriculture and Forestry. That's where we have to let it go. It's been an interesting conversation. seems like we should actually speak about this once again on our program. I also want to thank our uh, producer who is that side, Sydney Piru, joined our team just for this particular program. Thank you for your help as well, Sydney. And yeah, let's come back to Johannesburg now and uh, go for a break and then we'll come back to our economics update. Oh, so much to touch on on this uh, World Forestry Congress being uh, actually the first time on our continent, on our ground. And we know that forest is so important for us as a continent and uh, especially when it comes to this global change and also just uh, also preserving uh, the nature of uh, our inheritance as uh, a continent. But hey, we will come back to this theme. I think it's something that we need to come back to. I think that we had so many subjects that we couldn't touch on. But let's move on right now to our economics update. We've got Wisani Matibu standing by.
Good morning. Thanks, Benjamin. Mining giant Anglo-American Platinum has sold its South African Rustenberg mine to Sibanya Gold for 400 million US dollars. Amplat says it's focusing on its core assets and exiting those assets identified as non-core in a responsible manner consistent with the objectives of the mining charter. The company says it has long-term and sustainable potential under Sibanya's control given its proven and successful track record of operating conventional mines in South Africa. And Egypt has paid uh, foreign oil companies 600 million US dollars in areas in August and still owes them 2.9 billion dollars. The country aims to lower the amount of areas it owes uh, foreign oil companies to 2.5 billion dollars by the end of the year. Delays in paying back foreign companies discouraged investment in Egypt's economy, which has been battered by power cuts, attacks by militants and political turmoil. Nigerian President Mohamedou Buhari is considering closing some embassies abroad as public finances have been hit hard by a slump in vital oil revenues. A committee will review all Nigerian embassies to determine those that are essential, with oil accounting for more than 90% of Nigeria's foreign exchange earnings and about 70% of government revenues. The fall in crude prices and output has had finances and the Naira currency. And the Zimbabwe's Weather Service Department has focused a short rainy season for the 2015-2016 and late rains. The news is a blow to the country which suffered a poor agricultural season in 2014-2015. Shingai Nyoka reports. The rain forecast has dampened hopes for a turnaround in the upcoming agricultural season. Last year's erratic rainfall, which was also late, devastated crops and left 1.5 million Zimbabweans in need of food aid. Zimbabwe has forecast that this season will likely experience late rains again. The meteorological department has warned of normal to below normal rainfall throughout most of the country. South Sudan's parliament has uh, cut spending by 6% for 2015-2016. The country's fiscal year starts on July the 1st. However, fighting in the northern oil-producing regions has delayed the budget announcement. South Sudan's parliament says the new budget will face financial pressures going forward as it puts spending at $1.6 billion, down from $1.7 billion in 2014-2015. Let's look now at the markets. The dollar trading at 13.5 South African rents at 10.2. Nine Botswana Pula and 9.54 against the Zambian Kwacha. Also trading at 0.65 to the British pound and 0.89 against the euro. Commodities gold $1,126, platinum $1,014 a fine ounce, Brent crude oil $51.99 per barrel. That's how it's looking. Thank you, Visani. Now let's move on to our sports. And we have Tamit Guza just waiting uh, just to give us that particular update. I don't know. He needs to tell him what's going on with South Africa's national team because they are so inconsistent. They won the last time we, and then the previous time they didn't. They lost very badly. I'm speaking from a South African perspective. Maybe I'm being so loyal and patriotic indeed. But Tami, after the show, needs to explain what's happening with Bafana Bafana. But let's get our sports from him.
In your sport, South Africa's Bafana Bafana coach has praised his team for winning the Nelson Mandela Challenge match against Senegal at the Orlando Stadium yesterday. Mashaba and his team came into the match under heavy criticism following their poor performance against Mauritania in knockout last Saturday, where they lost by three goals to one in the 2017 AFCON qualifiers. It took Tabo Makola's late second half goal to seal a 1 0 win for Bafana Bafana. Mashaba was relieved that his team managed to bounce back by beating the highly rated Senegal. I think if we were to talk about the game, there isn't much what we can say, but the only things I would like to say, bravo to our boys. They played very well. Uh, I don't know what is very well, but they played good. It is most unfortunate we couldn't score. We should have scored another three goals. And we played a very good against good side. We can only hope that uh, this victory rub off to our next coming matches. Sudan's national football coach has resigned after his team received a humiliation 4-0 defeat from Gabon within the Africa Cup of Nations competition. Mohamed Abdallah Ahmed, nicknamed Mazda, announced his resignation officially as a coach of the Sudanese national football team shortly after the referee whistled to the end of the game in Libreville in Gabon. The match was played on Saturday night at Gabon capital Libreville within the 2017 Africa Cup of Nations qualification matches. And in rugby, South African Springbok 8th man Dwayne Vermeulen says that he is fit and ready to play ahead of the Springbok's departure on Friday for the Rugby World Cup in England. Vermeulen had undergone a neck operation two months ago and his chances of making it to the World Cup were doubtful. However, Vermeulen said that he had already regained full fitness during the Springbok's camp in Devon last week and he will be ready for selection for the Springbok's first, full, first pool match against Japan. Must have felt fit in Durban, uh, but running up here, it's a, it's a whole different thing. Um, no, I'm uh, I'm ready and um, and fit to go. Um, Jesse, like you said, I can't wait to to get on the pitch and uh, and just play play a game. Uh, dropped a bit of skip, uh, skin folds, a uh, bit of weight, but um, yeah, it's all in all um, back to my regular weight that I that I that I love to play in, and um, yeah, just uh, we we you feel comfortable to play a full 80 minutes. The 28-year-old Vermeulen revealed that he had no doubts during his rehabilitation on whether he would make it to the World Cup, but says that those moments were few and far between. Uh, just, uh, there was a stage that I, that I really felt like um, this, is, this is going uh, going south and not the, not the way we, where you really wanted to go, but um, yeah, I got, got the conf- confidence from, uh, from the surgeon and uh, he said I'll be ready to go. And, uh, yeah, here I am and, uh, in a in a 31-man squad and uh, looking forward to, to my first World Cup. And on athletics, following her decision to skip the 2015 All-Africa Games, the National Sports Commission and Athletics Federation of Nigeria have placed a ban on sprinter Blessing Ogagbare, excluding her from representing the country at the 2016 Olympic Games in Rio in Brazil. Channel Africa's Tony Ubani reports. Okagbare had a dismal outing at the IWF World Championships in Beijing, China. She claimed that injury forced her out of the competition where Nigerians expected her to win a medal having run the third fastest time of the season in the 100 meters after the Beijing meet 
Okagbore told officials of the Ladies Federation of Nigeria not to expect her in Congo for the All Africa Games. But amazingly, she showed up in Zurich full of life and energy. She ran 10.98 seconds in the Diamond League, much to the chagrin of athletics officials who gave her the benefit of the doubt because of her purported injury. The National Sports Commission and the Athletics Federation of Nigeria examined the circumstances bordering her decision to dock the All Africa Games and came to the conclusion to deny the athlete any chance of appearing in next year's Olympic. And finally, in tennis, South Africa's 15th seed Kevin Anderson aims to keep his giant killing run alive at the U.S. Open when he takes on fifth seed Stan Wawrinka in the quarterfinals action today. Anderson upset Britain Andy Murray in four sets in the fourth round on Monday to get to the quarterfinals of a Grand Slam for the first time in his career. That's the end of our sport. Stay tuned to Channel Africa and back to Benjamin Mushatama. So tell me, my man, tell me what is happening. Bafana, Bafana, they're so inconsistent. We're speaking at two South Africans here who are very much, uh, you know, we love our country and we love Bafana, Bafana. We're supposed to love them. We're not going to be indifferent about them. So what's going on, bro? Look, you know, it, it, it dates some few years back where most of the people have been complaining about Bafana, Bafana, the physique, the strength. I mean, the combination of the team. Mm. But now, the coach, Sheikh Mashaba, has made it a point that whatever that is there for Bafana Bafana, they must win the games. They haven't been winning for a couple of games. Mm. And people now were starting to doubt whether Bafana Bafana will qualify for Capone 2017. Mm. Look, we've seen what has happened in Mauritania, where they lost. And now, the Nelson Mandela Challenge. But maybe... It's a in friendly. Honor why, why do they play differently on friendly? Exactly. I mean, this is what yeah. most of the people are saying. Because the, these are just games that have got no value. You understand what <laughs> I'm saying but it's just that let's rally behind the team and be patriotic enough as we've just said <laughs> <laughs> we'll try we'll try we'll try thank you so much Tommy for that uh, update that's how we wrap up the program tomorrow tomorrow we're going to be giving you a live broadcast from Santon in Johannesburg we're going to be at the Hilton Hotel we'll be looking at the Hotel Investment Conference Africa and we'll be finding out what's happening in terms of the hotel industry and hospitality on the continent so do join us same place same time right here on Channel Africa the voice of the African renaissance but we're gonna wrap up the program see you tomorrow until tomorrow god bless Zaliba, the business is a
Tu me l'as pas tout l'engagé, au bout il n'en voulait pas. 